You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. What's up, guys? My name is Parker McDonald, and I'm your host, and you are listening to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. everybody welcome back to the southern ground hunting podcast we've got a great episode today with matt powell matt is from tennessee you may remember him from a previous episode last year in uh, in 2020 we had matt come on and we talked about transition lines and uh, stand placement and things like that really really solid episode and actually one of the highest downloaded episodes that we've done to date so uh go and check that one out um back in the in the archives if you haven't heard it Matt's a great dude. Matt kills a lot of really, really good bucks. Um, every year, man, he's like, he kills three or four or something like that. I mean, just exceptional deer. And uh, so I thought I'd, it'd be good to have him come back on the show and talk a little bit about what he's doing during the summer to prepare. Uh, we talk a lot about scouting, glassing uh, fields if you have the ability to, um, just some of the things that are really attractive to deer during this time of the season to gain knowledge on inventory, uh, the quality of bucks that are in your area, knowing that at some point things are going to change and patterns are going to change once the summer is over. And uh, we talk a lot to him about how he uh, how he attacks that early season with the knowledge that he's gained through the summer. It's a really good episode, guys. I hope you'll stick around and listen to this with, uh, with Matt Powell. Before we get into the episode, we're going to take a brief moment to thank the people, the companies that make this show possible. Uh, number one, we'll start out with Tethered Nation. Um, Tethered is putting out the best saddle hunting equipment out there. I see all the time, uh, and I get asked a whole lot about saddle hunting equipment, and um, man, Tethered is just the answer for all of it for me. Um, the Predator platform, I don't think there has been, no, and I, I really don't know that there will ever be a better option than the Predator platform for saddle hunting. Um, so compact, so lightweight, and uh, just an all-around great piece of equipment if you're looking into getting into, into saddle hunting. So make sure you check out tetherednation.com. Also, um, Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge has been making a very good name for itself here in the, in the past couple months. Uh, Bill has been on several different podcasts. I heard him the other day on east meets west podcast which is a great one if you guys haven't checked that out you definitely should uh but but basically what spartan forge does is it uses artificial intelligence technology to take um and it takes data points from deer studies all over the nation and puts it all in one place and it is able to predict where deer will be moving um what they're going to be doing on any given day based on weather patterns um, current weather, historic weather, phase of the rut, things like that. 
Uh, you should definitely go check out SpartanForge.ai if you're uh, if you're interested in that. You can use the code Southern Ground when you check out, and that will save you a little bit. I'm talking guys about like under 20 bucks. If you use this code under 20 bucks, you'll get it for a year. And I'm telling you, there's some really neat stuff coming out uh, here this summer uh, that I think you're going to want to be a part of. And here's the cool thing: what you pay for it right now is what you're going to pay for it for as long as you have Spartan Forge. So. Go check out the uh, the program. It's called The Outfitter. It's on SpartanForge.ai, and uh, you can start your free trial today. It's awesome. Good stuff coming from Spartan Forge. Appreciate those guys supporting the show. Uh, also, we got NewCanoe.com for uh, for kayaks. Man, these guys are putting out great kayaks, and uh, I've been going back and forth between my Unlimited, my Frontier. I like them both. I can't really find a whole lot of bad things about either one of them. So uh, if you're if you're right now in the heat of the fishing uh, season, I guess you could call it. It's a uh, it's definitely a kayak that you need to look at if you're looking at getting on the water anytime soon for fishing or hunting, scouting, whatever you're going to be doing. Um, I'm going to actually be taking my kayak out to a buddy's hunting club here this weekend, and uh, it's along a river. And he was curious about water access. It's a huge hunting club. We're going to scout it out, and uh, I'm going to show them a little bit about how to do the the water access thing and show them the things that I'm looking for and uh, hopefully find him a spot to go out and kill a, a good buck that, uh, that is going to be away from all the pressure of the rest of the hunting club. So don't just pigeonhole kayak hunting into public land. While that may be the best, uh, the, the most, I guess, common usage of a kayak for hunting would be on public land, there is plenty of private land that has spots that you could water access and potentially come at the deer from another angle and uh, up your chances to kill a big buck this fall. So uh, go check out newcanoe.com. Lastly, Scree Gear. You can go to ScreeGear.com and use the code SOUTHERNGROUND at checkout and it will it will save you a little bit of money on your purchase if you're looking for hunting camo or anything like that. Make sure you check out ScreeGear.com. All right, guys, that's going to be it. I want to uh, give a brief notice on this one. The audio was kind of had some weird sounds going on for just about the whole podcast. We couldn't ever get the audio levels to really uh, work out too too well. Drew is on one end of it, and every time he talks, it's super quiet. And when he talks, there's a terrible noise that comes through. Um, and, I mean, you're going to hear a, a kind of a fuzzy sound through the whole thing. And uh, I'm doing my absolute best on this end to, to try to make it a little bit quieter. But it's still it's still pretty noticeable. So um, if you can get past this, this is a really, really information-rich podcast episode with Matt Powell. We're talking about early season. We're talking about summer strategies, things he's doing right now to make him more successful this fall. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. All right, everybody, on the line with us now, we have Matt Powell from Tennessee. Matt, how's it going up there? Just not too far up north, but just a little bit further north than we are. Yeah, yeah, I'm not far. The central, north central Tennessee, not far from Nashville, but I, I can't see the, the bright lights anyway. So that's that's a good thing. <laughs> that's awesome. Some of you guys may, may know Matt um, or – have heard the name. We've obviously we've had Matt as a guest last year on the podcast for the first time. We did an episode. It's actually one of our top performing episodes that we've done. It's called X Marks the Spot. We really talked about like 
um, those transition zones that come together and, um, you know, basically like three to four way transitions and they come together and that's where uh, Matt kind of broke down how he how he is successful on big bucks in that way. Um, but one of the things that, that Matt does and is very involved in, and that is the bow hunting league, him and, uh, another guest, Ben, that we've had on the show, um, a couple times. And, uh, Matt, could you tell us a little bit about the bow hunting league? I know a lot of guys probably hear that and they, they don't, the purest mentality of a lot of people don't like the idea of putting competition and dollar figures on bow hunting. Kind of explain that for anybody who doesn't know what it is. Well, it's not not necessarily a dollar figure. We give away a, a lot of prizes, and the main thing about it is it's uh, free. So that's that's a huge part. But uh, the, the whole mindset and mentality behind the bowling league is it all got started back around 2015. Is we're just your reg- we're just your regular average guys, and we're just having trouble getting going to hunt places. You know, it costs a lot of money. So we was trying to figure out some way to start networking with other like-minded individuals who like killing big deer with bows. So we started doing this team thing, and it's just it's just blossomed into what it is now. Uh, I think we had 470-something teams last year. Three, this is three-man teams. You can make your own teams. Uh, yet again, it's free, but we've still got tons of tons of stuff we give away. I think our package is well o- well over 40000 so far this year that we're going to give away. And you don't have to kill the three biggest deer. Yeah. Probably 80% of our prizes just get given away randomly throughout the year. Uh, so that, that's the really cool thing, just, just hanging out, participating, you can win a fitness suit, you know. I mean, it's, it's just really cool. So, so tell me, tell me, Matt, what's the, what's the biggest buck – what was the top three uh, last season that were registered, if you know off the top of your head? For me or the league? For the league, yeah. Because I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere near the league. <laughs> I, I, well, uh, number one, yeah. I know that's not true in the overall score. I know you always end up pretty dang close to the top because um, I pay attention, a lot of attention to it. Um, so Matt's, yeah. Matt's, Matt's being that's, humble right here. I kill a lot of multiple bugs. But, right. Uh, our our largest last year was turned out to be our all time largest from, was from Ohio. And that's a friend of ours, MP Brown killed, and he was two fifty two. Jeez. And he was also the largest. He was also the largest in the Quest contest. Pretty pretty deep that he ended up competing in both of them, and then killed that there, You know, so he had a, an amazing year, and he is a canine officer. Uh, in Ohio, so you know he's got a pretty, you know, humble wage as well. It's not like cops are making a hundred grand a year. Uh, so you know he killed it on a budget, his own little forty acres there. It's just a just a fairy tale deal with that deer. Then I know we had uh, several one nineties and two, you know, right there at that two hundred precipice, and this is all gross scores too. So. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy just to see how, that many big deer. You don't realize there's that many big deer killed until it's like every other day there's like, 
you know, a one sixty plus in enter. It's just unbelievable. It's it's wild being on that Facebook group and seeing some of the deer. I know the year I think it was the year before that there were several two hundred inch deer. Um, that seemed it yeah, seemed like yeah, three, every three two years ago. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's unbelievable uh, to see average guys now in the bow hunting league. Um, you start talking about you know 200, 200 plus inch deer. The first thing that comes to your mind is uh, are these are these all free range? Is that part of the rules? Is it has to be free range, or can oh, yeah. can yeah, the guy free range? Yeah, no. no. And I mean, we've even, we've even, uh, flirted with the idea, you know, cause there's so much genetic dumping going on in Mexico and stuff, whether we would even allow Mexico to be involved with it. Yeah. Cause they do so much free range wild, uh, like, uh, they'll breed a, they'll tranquilize a doe and then the fertilizer with a giant skin raised buck. Right. You know, there's a lot of that goes on in Mexico, and we, you know, but we definitely want it to all be free range. You know, basically, we don't necessarily follow Pope and Young, you know, word for word, but we try to try to encourage it to be as, as free range as possible. Not as free range as possible, but as legal as possible. You know, there's not a there's not a single state in the union that lets us. In our deer that was shot in the field, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. at that point it's a domesticated animal. It's not your pad, so. and it's all based upon reputation as well. Uh, anybody can cheat. If you want to cheat, you can cheat. But the odds of getting it away, getting away with it with a giant deer is pretty slim. Somebody's going to be jealous and turn you in. Like, oh, I know Billy Bob shot that in such and such a skin, you know. Yeah. So it, it, it's pretty slim odds that would ever happen anyway. Sure. Well, that's cool. I think the, the bow hunting league is, is obviously a cool thing. And, and uh, I don't want people to, I don't want people to, like, just assume, you know, that it's super competitive. And like I said earlier, that there's, people are doing it. It's, it's all about the money and it's all about, you know, everything's about big bucks. These guys in this group have a lot of fun. And I know for you and Ben and other people that have been involved, it's been a really cool way of forming other relationships with other hunters and opening up the door for opportunity to go hunt other states with some of these other guys as well, which is pretty neat. Yeah, and, that's exactly how it all come the whole reason for it. And, uh, like, uh, we do a turkey league in the spring, but it's all – it's kind of randomly generated. So you'll be on the, you'll have a team of 20 guys, all diehard bow hunters from across the nation. And you, nine, most of the teams start a big group chat. And and multiple, every year we hear and talk to and meet people who have went and hunted with these people from their team all across the state. Uh, one of our guys did a double grand slam this year just because of people he'd met through the league with a bow, he double he did double grand slam with a bow. Wow. He ended he ended it late May in Nebraska with some people that was on his team from last year. You know, where else can you do something like that? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's so that's so cool. 
I'm a, I'm a big fan of the bow hunting league. I think you guys are doing really cool stuff. And uh, I, I'm a fan of camaraderie and anything to, that you can do to build that camaraderie within the hunting community, just especially in today's social media age, I guess, where most of these, most of these groups are people bickering back and forth. And, uh, you know, when you, oh, yeah. when you yeah. talk about a score of a deer, somebody on there is going to be like, Oh, that deer ain't, that deer ain't big enough or whatever, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of crap. Yeah. It's just, it's annoying and you don't see it on that page. Um, I haven't ever noticed it on that page. Uh, I'm sure y'all have had to filter through some posts before, but, um, you know, you just, you just don't get nearly that same experience on, on the bow hunting league Facebook page. So you guys are, yeah. are really doing a, a cool thing there. Now, uh, Matt, I know 2020 season, uh, we talked to you at the end of the 2000, I think it was like January or February of 2020. So let's talk about, yeah. let's talk about the 2020 <clears throat> deer season for you. I do believe that you killed the first deer of anybody on my friends list. If I'm, if I'm, uh, <laughs> last, thinking last right. year. Yeah. Yeah. That was the very first afternoon of Tennessee's velvet hunt. We have a three day archery only private land only velvet hunt. Uh, well, I say archery only, they let them hunt with guns in hey, the counties. Of hey, FPWD. hey, don't talk about it. We don't tell people about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sad man but uh anyway yeah it's the very first afternoon and it happens the last saturday last last weekend of august and that and it's a friday saturday sunday hunt i mean friday afternoon i killed one i killed a pretty good an older deer i had lots of pictures of him but he was the best deer that i that i found all last year i never found a, a, a really big deer in tennessee so, you know, age over, age over size, you know, that took, that took it. So he was uh, one, I think 130 in velvet. So he's a really pretty deer, beautiful cape. I'm actually getting him mounted. So he'll be a, he'll be a pretty mount. That was a, that was, hard to, that was a neat hunt to watch. I mean, just seeing your, seeing your, uh, your posts and stuff. I know that was, I think that was one of the first deer that was killed with a zinger fletching as well. Um, yeah, it was the very first buck ever killed with him. Pretty cool. I thought that was neat. Yeah. Which I'm using the zingers. Yeah. Uh, I think Drew. Are you shooting them, bud? I am. Yeah, Drew. Are they you are using them? Really cool. What now? I, are you using the zinger fletchings, or no? I. Well, last year I had I had four different configurations on my my arrows, and I had four different broadheads on. <laughs> on all of them so yeah a zinger was one of them i know this year <laughs> they're with their with, with their 2.0 they're, they're they're supposed to be stronger and quieter so i'm i'm, I'm really excited to try them out they're they're super nice i could i i i attribute it to almost like a the 2.0 is like a, a thick a super thick uh blazer bang is the material is what it's like uh-huh so they're right. They're super. They're super nice. I've killed. I killed a few turkeys with them this spring. But they're they're a really cool deal. You know, uh, it just takes all the hassle out of fleshing arrows. Uh huh. It just yeah, becomes so yeah. much and, work. And Parker, I know too. And Matt, I don't. I don't know if you shoot a heavier arrow setup, but I know me and Parker shoot heavy 
cut on contact fixed blade. And uh-huh. it is it is so easy whenever you tune an arrow or, or whatever, if you got to spin the fletch. Oh, you know, I, I mean, bet it is. It, I never thought about that. It, Super convenient, man. I mean, it, it really is super convenient. And 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 another plus too, if if you hunt out west, and I would I would have some in my pack just as emergencies. Mm-hmm. So that way, no doubt, some unknown reason. If if you're walking through, you know, the the aspens up there in Colorado, and and you and something happens, you can at least fletch one in the field, and you don't need need anything. Yeah. And um. So I'm 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 super excited to try out the new 2.0s. I, I really am. I need to get you some, Drew, because I've got some. Uh, I've got oh, some okay. of the new ones that they sent me. I'm I'll have to I'll have to let you check them out because they are they're definitely cool. I didn't have a lot of issues with the the originals, um, other than if like my bow was sitting in the case for an extended period of time or something like that. The uh, it would take a while for the for the fletchings to straighten back up if they were bent in any weird angle. Right. And the new ones, I don't think are going to do that. I don't think I'll have any issue with that. Yeah. So, well, that's cool, Matt. Tell us a little bit about how the rest of your season went. Uh, it went almost exactly like the season before. I think I, I think I was within four or five inches of the season four, a little over 700 inches of antler that I killed last year. Uh, so I killed the one in velvet, uh, started hunting, you know, Tennessee open, kind of bouncing around, you know, it's early, hot, We're, didn't have nothing on my radar at all, but still hunting, kill a few does, and it started getting late October, and I got on a really big deer in Tennessee, and uh, November 2nd, went in to hunt him. And there was actually another deer there, plenty big as well, that I would shoot. And that morning, November 2nd, I ended up missing both those deer within two hours of each other. So it's a huge long story. One was chasing a doe and running closer than, you know, just kind of a, just a screwy deal, running does. You know how stuff can happen. I shot right under that one, and then the other one kind of, kind of went out got my skin a little bit about midday lunchtime and he he ducked my arrow and I shot over him and so all of a sudden uh, November 2nd I'm having like the worst year I've had in years so bounce uh, up to Kentucky like a few days later run into a pretty I ain't got one tiny little spot in Kentucky to hunt uh, it's close to home about 30 minutes from the house yeah unless I go on public which is fine I I I, I love hunting public. I feel really good here on public. Uh, but this is my family piece of ground. My cousin owns. And he had a really nice deer up there, like right at 120, real heavy bodied eight corner. Okay, we're back on track. Doing good. So always about the time that Muzzleloader opens in Tennessee, which is usually that First Saturday, November, like anywhere between like the 3rd and the 7th, somewhere in there. I head to Central Indiana where Ben lives. And we hunt all public ground up there, Hoosier National Forest. Uh, some state forest up there as well, but most of it's Hoosier. And so we hunted like four days together. And it was Sunday night, huge front coming in. Ben had 
had you in Iowa tag. So he had been bouncing back and forth to Iowa, had some good good leads on the ground out there. He left for Iowa the day this front was coming in. It's still, I don't know if y'all remember that first week in November was super hot. Oh, yeah. Like super, super hot. Mm-hmm. It was like super hot. It was like 70, 80 degrees, you know. And you were hunting public ground, pretty steep, hilly, usually that's the force. And, you know, the, high, the whole mindset get away from people. So, you know, you know, 80 degrees, let's take off and walk two miles, you know. But anyway. The uh, end leaves that morning to go to Iowa. I I said I'm gonna stay here one one more day till the cold front comes in, and I'm gonna go to my good ground and uh, my family. My uncle owns a really good place in Ohio, so I was like, I'm gonna stay here one more day. I went to a, a spot that we've hunted historically before, never killed nothing there. It's really good transition, growed uh, up creek bottom. A hit on a bluff side, and they've got the timber, steep drain heads out right there. Just kind of everything kind of works by you. Bulletproof, too, with a, a north wind. You're, you're, I mean, a south wind, I'm sorry. The wind blows off this huge ravine, like, and I mean, ravine, like 30 foot sheer wall. So it's, it's a great spot. So I was like, I'm going to go there. And it's like the easiest place I have, half a mile walk in. We hadn't been there all year. And I get in, I'm easing in. I get about halfway and I'm starting to see some scrapes and some good deer sign. I'm like, I might be onto something here. So I get climbed up. Right at dark, goes, start easing around, fifth around. I look down the hill and I see a really good buck feeding on acres. We feed on acres about five minutes. They want her to pick his head up. When he finally does, uh, the shake starts. I realize he's like mm-hmm. a really, really good deer. He's my best public land deer ever. And uh, he just starts working to me, and he's paralleling me. And they can come by you and get downwind, but they have to walk through some shooting lanes. So I finally get him stopped at 45, make a great shot on him. I, looked, I didn't see him go down, but I knew he went down just right there. Uh, went, went and got some local friends and got him out. Uh, he ended up having 14 scoreable. Gross 153 as a 10-pointer. As a super tight, heavy deer. So I take him that night all the way to a friend of our taxidermist there in central, uh, central Indiana, McCulloch Taxidermist. Great guy, David McCulloch. So I strike out very, really, really early the next morning and head to Ohio. I'm on my rut, you know, I'm a rut patient. Uh, I get over to a buddy's house. I've never hunted with him. I went up and he's hunted with us in Indiana, but I've never hunted his place in Ohio. It's like, and I, we met him through the Bowhunt League, you know, another, this year is 100% attributed to the Bowhunt League. So I show up at his house at like noon, he done killed his buck that year. So we're debating, debating this and that. It's still hot. The front hadn't got there yet. It was coming in that night. 30 mile an hour winds, like 75. He's like, just go to this huge grown CRP field. Walk in there, stay on the river, get where you see a bunch. The wind's great for it, blowing your skin out over the river and just kind of kind of get some eyeballs on something. Maybe we can move in on something in the morning. 
sounds great. So I take off down the CRP field. I call it a CRP field, but I think it's just a, a field that a farmer hadn't done. Maybe it's too wet or something. And I get down to this little section of woods, and I get there about standing there just looking around at these huge scrapes, trying to paint me out of three. And y'all probably aren't going to believe this story if you haven't, if you haven't already heard it. But I hope you do. <laughs> I hear a deer. I, I hear a deer sneeze, and and I'm like, most. And the only time I've ever heard it when they're they're picking up acres. They, you ever hear they pop in their nose real hard to find to find acre smell them? Mm-hmm. Well, I hear this deer sneeze. I'm like, what the heck is that? Wind's just like I say, thirty mile an hour. Like that's there's no way that's a deer, you know, because I had to been. 20 yards of it, you know, when you hear that. So there's these three or four big scrapes in front of me. And I was like, well, I'm going to step in them, just bare dirt, a few more steps, and kind of look around. There's this little little river levee kind of thing just right in front of me. I take three or four more steps, and I see this rat. I'm like, that's a pretty good deer. I thought he was like 120. I stand there and watch him for a while. Pack, pack, feel everything on my back. I do have my release in my pocket. Like, I don't want to blow him out and him run across this weed field. You know? So I'm just going to stand there and watch him for a while. Well, he finally, he was facing, like looking in front of him, not, not at me. He finally, something happened and he turned and looked my direction. I was like, holy crap, that's a giant. Huh. Like 20 yards. Just fed it. Just, I'm just standing there on the edge of a field. Like, I'm like, you know, seeing your knees start shaking. And this is like <laughs> 3 o'clock. I get my release out, knock an arrow. So I just stand there for the next two hours, swapping hands back and forth. You know, because you're holding your bow, at any minute he can stand up. So he finally stands up. I draw. He never even notices me there. I make a good shot on him. He barrels off down through there. Give him, give him a while later that night. We went back in and found him, me and my buddy. And he had a broke G2 and a broke G3, and he grossed 158. Wow. Like that. He would have been, he would have been up there around 170 if he had not, not had those broke. So this is less than 24 hours later. You know, I done got, 300 inches of ant on the ground. Yeah. So I'm like, season, season turned around real fast. Yeah, it did. So, uh, so at that point, I, uh, I've done on my rut, my rutcation. I still have a tag in Tennessee. You know, those two big deer, I'm still getting pictures of them off and on on my cell cams running in Tennessee. So I was like, I got to get this deer taken care of and get my butt home just as quick as I can. Cause it's running, it's getting late in November at that time. So, you know, it's, if you're hunting that Midwest rut long there, you know, that week before Thanksgiving, that's kind of the last hoorah. Mm-hmm. So I headed back, got back to Tennessee, hunted, I think Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that, that same farm that those big deer on, didn't, never, never seen any of them. Went back in there Thursday morning, had a, uh, didn't really see nothing. Mid-morning, doe just comes barreling through on me. And behind there is a really good buck, 
Not a year or two I knew of, but I knew it was good enough for Tennessee. Uh, got him stopped finally by screaming literally, hey, deer, just at the top of my lungs. <laughs> and I hit him a little back, but he hit him a little back, but hit him really good. Took him about an hour to die still with inside of me. Uh, little did I know, he had like almost 17, 18 inches of antler stickers on his faces. He was a mainframe 14 pointer. I mean, not mainframe. He was a, a 14 scoreable mainframe 10, and he grossed 158 as well. So that that ended all my killing. But I did go to Oklahoma and got on some really good deer, public ground, uh, hit a piece of grass on a big one out there. Attempted to hunt Alabama once with a friend of mine. Never even got on anything. Uh, had a really eventful late season. Went to North Florida. Never seen a buck. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I'm. I think I was like a month early. Like, cause like I got to following people and stuff in that area. It was like mid late February. They started killing some bucks. I'm like, okay. So I kind of got a vendetta with this public ground we hunt, I hunted down there. If if I don't have much going on in February, I'm gonna try to go back just to say I killed one on public ground in Florida. Yeah, you know whether it's a six pointer, I don't care. You know. Yeah, it's Florida. It's Florida, man. Yeah, Florida, yeah. Florida's hard. It's a tough t- state to hunt. I've said it. If I said it once, I said it a million times. Some of the best hunters in the, some of the best deer hunters in the country live in Florida, and you don't know their name. Um, but if oh, I mean, I went down there fully intended. I was gonna kill something pretty easily, and I shoot. I never was in a bunk. <laughs> yep. That's it. I, th- I think I've seen those two times out of like five fifths or something. You know, I was like, <laughs> yep, got my butt kicked. I'm going home. Yep. It's a, uh, it's a tough state. So kind of getting into the meat of the podcast, you talked a little bit about your 2020 season. Um, I really wanted to talk to you today about something that uh, me and uh, Luke Parker hit on a couple weeks ago in a podcast. Somebody had um, shared one of the things that they're doing right now, which is trying to find potential target deer during the summertime and talking a lot about summer scouting, um, running trail cameras and finding those target deer. And the thing, I I don't do that. Um, I'm, I'm less of a, I'm less of a, of a, (laughs) you know, summertime off season scout type person. And I'm more of let's go in Uh and and find the area during in, in the season and, try to kill a good buck, you know, be surprised in a, in a good spot or something like that. And scout hunt. That's, that's more what I do anymore. Oh, oh yeah. And they're both just as, you need to do them both if you're going to be successful every year. Because mm-hmm. sometimes one's not going to pan out. Sure. Uh, I think that's, at all. I think you that's know, good. Like, if and, it hadn't been for that velvet hunt or a lucky rut hunt last year, I would not have shot a buck in Tennessee, you know? Yeah. So you, you obviously put a lot into this, and if you're going into, into other states and, and having success in other states, there's a lot that goes into that, and probably, like you said, some of it is in-season scouting and going in and, you know, finding the sign in the moment and setting up on it and hunting. But then you do have things like, like what you just mentioned with your, your early-season velvet hunt 
in Tennessee where you did find a potential target. But I want to, I want to take away that take away that velvet hunt. Okay, um, the real the realistically most most southern states don't have the ability to do that unless you're in Tennessee to be able to hunt, hunt a deer on a oh, yeah. on a summer pattern. So tell me, Matt, how you are finding deer this time of the year and then putting together I want to know how you put together where that deer is going to be when they get off of that summer pattern so I guess just starting out um, what are the things you're looking for this time of year to be able to say okay that's that's what that's a buck maybe I could set a camera here and potentially get a uh, a buck on on camera that I can chase after this fall so kind of I guess just from the top, what you would do during the summertime? Yeah. Uh, a lot of, you know, probably one of the main factors I have, uh, I'd say number one and number two, are going to work on finding food sources, bean fields, basically, uh, in our region, which a lot of the South doesn't have that, or salt and mineral sources. Uh or potentially water sources, which we don't have to utilize that here, but there is parts of the south where you wouldn't expect to be able to use that uh, during the summer months. But uh, we're, we're just starting to get on the edge. There's actually a pretty big rain shift that happens uh, early summer that people don't don't realize. Uh, and we're right on the end of it. That's why I always wait. You see a lot of guys get these cameras out, May, June, and yada, 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 and but then all of a sudden, that big deer they had pictures of, they're no longer getting pictures of him. Uh, he shifted and moved somewhere to the actual hardcore summer. So I always wait till right about 4th of July. You can always figure on that 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 time stands where I start getting my cameras out. Uh, and it's mostly mineral site. Uh, 90% of it is. If it's not on a mineral site... I go out on a rainy afternoon, and I glass a different bean field every afternoon a thunderstorm comes up. Because you get that, you know, that cooling effect, and you'll have an extra hour of movement. These deer really get out early, you know. And there's almost no better, uh, no better indication on where one is than being able to sit there watching with your eyes and see how he comes out and moves across the field. That, that's, a, that's a huge aspect. Let me ask you this, and Matt. Even, when you, uh, I know you hunt some some areas that are mostly wooded type areas, which would be a, a pretty good um percentage of the south when when you got guys we've got guys yep. listening in mississippi alabama georgia um florida these places that don't have beans or or maybe you can't on public land put a mineral side out or something like that is there anything in those type of areas that you um would key in on in the summertime uh probably no different than than how you would hunt if you don't, if you cannot put mineral sites out, you need to find super tight pinches, uh, probably near a water source if you're hunting, if, if it's summertime, just for the fact that uh, a deer's going to get most of his 
most of his water from browse, but say if you don't have lush green browse, he's going to need to get water in the summer. Mm-hmm. So you got that. Uh, it's hard. I ain't going to lie. That's, that's a hard question, and it's even harder for the guys that only have that to hunt. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no, there's also no substitute for numbers. You can hang a bunch of cameras. If you have that ability, that time and extra expenses, to put on hanging a bunch of cameras. Because you can't take and watch a, a 200-acre bean field and see every deer that comes out. Yeah. You know, if that was solid woods, I'd have to have 10 cameras there to, to finally get a picture of those bucks and like, okay, they're, they're working this ridge. I need to see on on that. You know? so, it, it's a really hard question. There's no way that guy, that's all he got to hunt, can do the same thing that a guy hunting in western Kentucky, western sea can, watching bean fields. There's just it's, it's no comparison. I, I was hoping you would say that, and the reason is because I think a lot of guys get stuck this time of year because they feel like they should be doing so – they, they see the, the post or whatever, and all the YouTube guys are sitting out watching bean fields and hanging trail cameras on, you know – trails going to go into those big food sources like like you're talking about and it uh-huh. it, it can get pretty yeah. discouraging for a guy who's in like my situation down here in or in northern alabama where we don't have a lot of ag there's not a lot that i can find um there's not a lot of places that i can go and say hey i could tr- hang a trail camera right there and it may not do me any good you know what i mean like uh-huh. I may get an occasional big deer. I could get lucky and put get a a camera up on uh, a bedding area that a buck, you know, stays close to all the time. Um, that does happen, yeah. and and that's why that's what makes it worth it to go out and maybe get lucky doing that. But for the most part, you're not going to be. What I'm gathering from what you're saying is it's hard for that to translate over to big woods in the early season. Oh yeah. Everybody's not equal. You know, it, it, there's just no, there's just no way to, to, to sugarcoat it. Uh, we have it easier if you can hunt row crops and beans. I mean, you know, there, there's just no, it, it's easier. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of people, you know, you have these Midwest guys who bump their chest and, you know, they are the greatest hunter ever when they're sitting in a redneck blind in the corn, stay in the cornfield. No way. Yeah. You're not doing the same thing a guy in North Alabama is that kills a 120 every year with his phone. It ain't even, it ain't even, ain't even the same neighborhood. (laughs) Well, you also mentioned, Matt, you also mentioned uh, finding, finding that browse. And I think in areas that, in the areas that I hunt, areas that a lot of people across the Southeast are hunting, that don't have ag browse is a don't big. Over, don't overlook kudzu in the south. Yeah, kudzu. I was actually talking into talking to a buddy of mine about kudzu earlier today about the amount of nutrients and um, it seems like big deer really gravitate towards kudzu. Um, but that kind of stuff, man, it seems like uh, this time of year there's a lot of it. But a lot of times you can find it requires a lot more boots on the ground. But you, if you're if you're trying to just get like inventory of of an area, if you can find a place that it seems like is 
getting a large amount of browse pressure from the deer, um, that could be a good a good way. It's still not going to be as effective as a bean field or something like that, but it still could be a good way. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, go, go a lot ahead. of your, a lot of it is almost as if you're going to be hunting, you know, mm-hmm. uh, down top of map, you know, find, even though it is a south, or not the south, even though it is summertime and it seems like there's endless food, if you're hunting big expanses of woods, you know, no ag, those deer have to move more than a deer that lives on the edge of a bean field. Yeah. You know, find those find those longer fingers, those longer ridge systems, you know, and hang two cameras on it, facing back to back, you know, try to catch that bachelor group working it. You know, that they have to they have to move more. They're spending more energy uh, in the heat and I mean they're just not gonna be able to get as much food and, and access as they can walking out the bean field every day. Now do you Yeah. Yeah. Drew, did you have something? Well, I was I was just gonna um, ask a question about trail cams. I don't know if you wanted to go there yet or not, Parker. But um, yeah, if if you have a final thought on on this, go ahead. No, well, what I was gonna say, just as as far as um, hanging hanging trail cameras and and doing that kind of stuff, obviously that's a that's gonna be a big part of you know, especially for guys down here in big woods type areas. Hanging trail cameras is going to be a big a big thing with, uh, you know, getting that inventory. Obviously, you're not going to be able to go and just set over a big, huge area of browse, a big, huge, uh, you know, whatever, cut over, and uh, you're not going to be able to do that like you would be able to just drive up to a bean field and watch that. Um, so a trail camera is going to be a pretty big part of that. And, and all this that we're talking about, I'm saying with the intention of, setting a trail camera over over it you know not just setting up for a you know to watch it or anything like that but uh drew were you were you going to say something more specific along the lines of trail cameras yeah i was uh matt i was i was going to ask because um uh this is this the the type of style that that you have matt when it comes to like um you know summer scouting and and then hunting you know like trying to find a single deer and and hunt him down it's really intriguing to me because uh, me and parker were talking about this yesterday that's not necessarily how we do it but it, i also like that because it stretches me as a deer hunter too and so mm-hmm. do, you, do you use do you use the trail cameras to locate a big deer and then from there do you make a plan or do you keep pushing trail cameras closer in the bedding to, 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 to get that core area down? Uh, no, generally if I'm finding one this time of year, I just want to know that he's there. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of, and then, because you always have that dispersal happen as horde order happens. Uh, as antler genesis right. ends, when that ends and everything becomes hard, if I can ever, that's when I'll push my cameras in a little tighter. And if I can get a hard horn picture, you know, you hope he stays there. Because they're generally pretty much homebodies. You know, they don't go a huge way once they once they get hard horn, they, they're kind of a team of the area. They're gonna they're gonna be there. Then from that, I, unless I'm hunting somewhere new, I hunt like I do every year. I've learned these farms, I've learned how deer move on them. Uh, 
I'm I'm back. You know, I know this ticket generally where the box stay. You know, hunt my travel patterns. I think I never really push into the bedrooms with him. Uh, if I know he's there, I'm just hunting travel patterns. I, I don't know if I answered the question or not. Sir. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, uh, that's that's right. And then also, uh, Matt, like, how long do you give um, um, on a deer? Because I mean, I I know you were you were saying you like to find like that big deer that was in Tennessee. Um, but do you do you have like a set amount of time that that you'd be like, man, it's either this deer or nothing, or do you um, get the itchy trigger finger and um, if you haven't killed them by end of November and then go to something else. Now, like I say, if you're going to kill multiple bucks, you better be ready to move. Uh, you can't just sit and dwell on one. And maybe one day if I get a 200 on camera, I'd probably never leave. You know, I would stay in hunting. Uh, and it, and I'm not hung up on one deer either. I, and I always tell right. people, you know, try not, to, try not to compare yourself to others and their successes. If that deer excites you, shoot him. You know, I don't care if he's right. three years old. I, I right. kill a three-year-old probably every year at some point. If, if, if the right situation happens and he comes in and excites me, I shoot him. You know, that's what it's all about. Right. It's, just, it's you know, enjoying what you're doing, uh, getting excited. I guess, I guess the day that I don't get excited, you know, I'll quit hunting. Matt, you, you yeah. mentioned a little right. bit talking about yeah. hard horn and once they get hard horned, um, things do definitely shift a little bit. I want to know from you as far as your, uh, your strategy, you find a buck, you hunt him, um, and, or, or you find a buck, you locate him in the summertime through scouting, trail cameras, bean fields, whatever it is. Uh, you do all that stuff and then... A lot of things will change from the time he's in velvet to when he's hard horned. The bachelor bucks they split up, and there's oh, a lot Jeez. of times no telling. How often would you say you have a target buck in mind that you've found during the summertime, and once the season gets here, he's out of your life forever? Is that a pretty regular thing? Oh, all the time. <laughs> Uh, a lot, uh, simply because uh, almost everywhere I hunt is uh, by permission, you know, friends, family, you know, things like that. Uh, I'm not able to put a three-acre green plant in the back of a back of a cornfield, or you know, try to hold that deer or, or anything like that. I mean, I'm and not everywhere I hunt funded by somebody else. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it happens all the time. I mean, there's, and i tell you what's even more frustrating to me, and I don't know if it's because we harvest a lot of bugs. I feel like we harvest, Tennessee harvests a lot of good deer, but they tend to be on the younger side. Uh, I rarely, almost only two times have I ever had a big deer and I say big deer, like one that I would be targeting from one year to velvet to the next year that I knew it was him. 
I've only had that happen two or three times. So it's almost like every year is like a, a, a new exciting thing. We never, you know, we, and I guess it's scary going from two to three and three to four, you know, getting big enough to really garner my attention. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost new every year, new big fun, you know. So we, we talk a lot to, we've talked to, uh, guys like Bobby Worthington and, um, other guys who are just, you know, killers and they put a lot into the rut and as we all should as deer hunters, that's the best time to find a buck being super vulnerable. In a lot of cases, you're going to find deer that are, uh, not, you have no, you're not familiar with it all because they they're chasing, they're going all over the place, oh, they're yeah. moving big dif- distances. Do you tend to wait until the rut hits to really start hunting hard and going after them, or when you find a buck, like if you found a buck tomorrow, is your goal going to be to kill him as fast as possible? If I know he's there, I'm going after him immediately. Uh, cameras are great. And even cell cameras are great, but they're kind of sketchy on how much information how much information you truly get from them. Uh, but there's no better information than I always just call it the MRI. It's kind of generic, the most recent information. Uh, two of the bucks I killed last year, three three big deer I killed last two years. I seen them or somebody else seen them the very afternoon before. Hmm. So I knew he was right there in that neighborhood and just hunting your terrain, you know, hunting deer travel patterns, being where he's at just immediately. You know, if I was, if I'm hunting tomorrow and I watch a big deer come out the back of that bean field and it's a north wind today, partly cloudy. And it's the same conditions tomorrow, I'm going to be, if I have to crawl in there from breakfast to the very next day to get there, I will, that, that most recent encounter information is your number one uh, attributor of killing him, in my opinion. And you know, you'll... You check that camera, he's been on it every day for the last six weeks. That doesn't mean he's going to be there tomorrow. You know, if, yeah. if you got within hours... Of knowing he's there, which that's how self comes, you know, that's the whole draw of them that everybody's attracted to. But that you know he's there, you better be hunting him or going after. Sure, and a, and a cell camera or whatever is going to be, it's only going to get catch twenty feet. <coughs> you know, there's no telling what's yeah, going on right. around it. And I think I think a lot of people put a lot into well, that camera's not had any deer on it in the last two weeks. Well, yeah. that doesn't mean they're not going right behind your, the tree that you got the Doesn't camera mean on. anything. So. I've sat and watched, I sat and watched one afternoon, a few seasons ago, over a, over a oak spot that I had. I think I seen 13 or 14 deer that afternoon. Little bugs, a couple of does. But like, I was glassing it real hard. And like, once it got dark, I knew for a fact, not a single one of those deer had walked right in front of that camera. I didn't even get a picture of a deer that day and day like I've seen all those deer. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. That was about five years ago. That was kind of a camera aha moment for me. I was like, cameras really don't mean much. Yeah. So unless you know, like, 
unless you like check that camera and like that picture was yesterday, you know, like they just it, the information is not as valuable as people put it put it into. Mm-hmm. Now, when you we we kind of established what you do in the in the early season or in the in the summer in the off season, um, a lot of your tactics going into that. We established what you're doing in the early season. You know, if you've got a buck there and you know he's there, you're going to go after him and you're going to hunt him hard. Uh, how often is it that you actually are able to get on a buck in, let's say, the late the the rut or after the rut that you have had encounters with? during the summertime. So like this time of year, how often do you see bucks hanging out in the same area during the rut and in the late season as they were in the summer? Not, not very often. Pretty, pretty slim. Uh, as, as overall numbers though, say you got a bachelor group herd on one big farm, one big row crop farm, and there might be, you know, five or six, Decent bucks, you know, two year old, three year old, four year old, and you know, a dozen, you know, year and a half. You know, as far as overall percentage, you know, say that's twenty deer, there might be just two or three that you remember or recognize come mid November that were there during the summer. You know, mm-hmm. but that same thing happens to your neighbor as well. So there's no, you know. There's no telling what can walk by. You got to be in a tree. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think I think that's the uh, I think that's the kind of the point that I had in this podcast. This time of year, we get so many questions and so many uh, messages and things like that, where guys are saying guys from areas like I live in and areas like you're like you're living in, where they're hunting public land or permission property, and they're saying, hey. W- how how can I how can I kill a buck, you know, during the season and I can find him right now, and I think the overall, you know, verdict, in a lot of ways is that it's not impossible and you can you can get a lot of valuable information this time of year to be able to go in early season before the rut before they've completely just moved out of that area. There is there's still a chance that you've been able to do that. But this time of year, it is, it's very difficult to act, to, to put, I guess, I guess the point that I'm saying is don't put all your effort and your energy into trying to find a specific buck. Don't put all your effort and energy into trying to find, you know, uh, a, put out cameras and, and have all, you know, get all that intel or whatever. I my suggestion, and Matt, you can tell me what your suggestion is too. But my suggestion is put all your effort into covering ground and trying to find, you know, trying to find historical sign or trying to find terrain features and vegetation features as many of those as you can. Knowing that once the season gets here, once it's let's say it's October, November, December, in that area, the things that are are, are promising, which is really what we talked about in your first podcast, X marks the spot. Um, uh-huh. those type of things can be a lot more beneficial. Now, what would be, what would be your take? If, if you had to tell a guy this time of year, this is what you need to be doing during the summertime, July, once July rolls around, what is your suggestion? Uh, 
Well, I'm going to contradict you just a little bit. Uh, Go for it. Absolutely. Hiking this time, hiking this time of year sucks. It's hot. It, it does. It does suck. So I try to do all that kind of stuff early, January, February, March, if I'm going to do that, find a historical sign. Uh, if I'm living where you're living, I don't have bean fields. I don't have all that stuff for the average Joe, and I'm I'm an average Joe. I make all my money in the summer. I'm self-employed. Uh, I would put my efforts into saving up vacation time and saving up money, keep your honeydews done, so you have that ten days in November versus three, yeah. you know, or something like that. Put put more effort into your into your life, your wife and kids and things like that in the summertime. Instead of spending twelve hundred dollars on cameras and hanging them all over the blue moon and never even finding a big deal, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't care unless you're Mikoski or somebody like that that has just arms that none of us will ever dream of setting foot on. There's no substitute for being in the stand in November. There's just not. I don't care how many cameras you got, how many mineral sites you got, there's no substitute for being in the tree in November. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my end my end result. When it turns over to Halloween, my wife, my, my job, which I own, you know, if, if I didn't, I'd have my vacation. But they know. I'm not gonna be around till near about Thanksgiving. Yeah, so I'm gonna. I got three weeks there, but I'm gonna be in the tree every waking moment. Yeah, and some a lot of people don't have that drive or that or that you know or that that ability, but that's just what it takes. It takes time. There's no substitute for hard work and time being in the tree. Yeah. And there, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And that's, that's 100% the way that I am. You know, I don't, I, I don't anymore. I just don't scout during July. I'm just like you. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I, I'm going to put my time into my work, into my family right now. It's too hot. I don't want to be out there. Um, you know, there are definitely things that you can do if a guy has free time and uh, he wants to make the most of it and do hunting stuff, you can scout, find stuff, find find that historical sign or whatever. I don't typically do it this time of year, but it's it's definitely, it's not going to hurt anything to be out in the woods right now. Um, but but I, I, I totally agree with you, man. And, and I think, a lot, I think yeah. a lot of guys probably listen to this beat themselves up because they're like, man, I'm not doing anything right now. I'm All I'm doing is working right now. Well, that's a good thing. That's not... You know, that, yep. that doesn't mean That's your wrong. season's over. Um, and it doesn't mean you're not hardcore. It doesn't mean you're not, you know, a diehard deer hunter. doesn't mean that at all. It's uh, It yep. just means that your priorities are your priorities, and you got to take care of that stuff. So, um, Matt, man. Yep. I, There's a lot of other things, too, as well. Just, I'm going to touch on one other thing real quick. Sorry. No, you're good. Uh, yeah. No, take care of your equipment. It's huge this time of year. Mm-hmm. Make sure your bow's right. You know, a lot of guys don't shoot super, super hot. You know, shoot all summer. Uh, go over your stands. A lot of 
almost it's a huge craze this mobile thing. You know, if you sneak in, spend all an hour sneaking in to get in somebody's uh, uh, above bedroom, and then you sit there clanking steps while hanging them and stuff because you hadn't done it in eight months. That's not going to work, you know? Yes. Perfect your equipment. Perfect all those other things that that, that comes together for that one spent second, you know? Uh, it's not all food pods, trail cameras, and shooting big deer. There's more to it. Man, that is that is good information. Um, and, and something that uh, that we definitely left out on this episode of things that you can be doing right now. Making sure your system is right. Golly, I cannot say that enough. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Matt, because mm. um, it doesn't do any good to know where the deer are if uh, and to be, be able to get shots on deer if you're not killing them, <laughs> you know? That's um, right. Yep. You, you know, you got to take care of that stuff. That's that's really good. Shoot, shoot some does early season. So the first deer you draw on is not the big one. You know, get those jitters out of the way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Matt, I do appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us a little bit about this and uh, talking about early season strategies, how that translates into the, uh, or, or I guess, off-season strategies and summertime tactics that you're using and how they translate into deer season. And I uh, hope somebody, you know, is uh, encouraged by it and is able to find um, some good information out of this episode. I, I know I know they will. And uh Dude, I hope you have a. I know you're gonna have a great season, so um, I'm I'm not really too oh, concerned don't about that. Me already. I'm not too <laughs> concerned about that. Statistically, you're gonna have a great season this year, and uh, and I wish you the best of luck, man. And also, I'll see you here in a couple of weeks for the World Deer Expo in in uh, in Birmingham. That's right. So that'll be a good time. Yeah, I want to. Uh, I've never killed me Alabama deer either. I need to get down there and hunt with you and try to, try to get one. I love how you hunt. Well, man, listen. Oh, no, that new canoe and stuff, man. It's we really got cool. we got plenty of spikes. We got lots of spikes out here. You come down man, here. I whack eleven pointer every time. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, eat just the same. They taste. They all taste amazing. I have a buddy in Kentucky. Um, uh, he's been a guest. His name's Reese Johnson. Guy kills great deer, and he's a good hunter. And he he always talks about coming to Alabama. And just killing a spike just out of spite uh, for all the Alabama <laughs> hunters coming to all the Alabama hunters coming to uh, Kentucky and killing two year olds and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, I mean, if, if that's exciting, then they're more happy to it. I didn't buy their tag. So. Exactly. I'm, I'm right there it. with you. Well, cool, Matt. Well, thanks for coming on the show, man. And I hope you have a good evening. Thanks, brother. We appreciate it. All right, thank you guys so much for listening to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. We'll be back next Thursday uh, with another great deer hunting podcast. Uh, Make sure you check us out on Instagram and on Facebook. And uh, more recently, I've only done one post and it got got taken down, but I did start a TikTok account and I'm going to try to be posting that every once in a while. It's Southern Ground Hunting on TikTok. But on all of our all of our uh, social media platforms, you can go to at Southern Ground Hunting and find us there. Um, and I, I'm I'm a little bit ashamed that I went ahead and joined the TikTok craze, but it, it was it, it had to happen. It had to happen at some point. So if you're on those any of those platforms, 
go give us a follow at Southern Ground Hunting. You can check out our website, southerngroundhunting.com. Uh, we've got items on the store. we got hats. we got shirts. We've actually got a new hat that's going to be coming out. I'm going to be uh, pushing that out this week and giving you guys an opportunity to put in an order for those hats. And uh, But you can check everything out, all the stuff we have in our store at southerngroundhunting.com. Um, check out YouTube. I've started a summer series, I guess you could call it, on the YouTube channel that is uh, big buck breakdowns, buck breakdowns, whatever you want to call them. Basically where I go through each, uh, each of the bucks that I killed this past season and I'm going to be breaking down the areas that I shot them at, what I think actually happened, why I decided to sit there, just all the tactics that I wasn't able to cover in the video you're going to find. Um, in the original video, I guess, of the hunt, you're going to find and be able to hear me talk through those things in these buck breakdown videos throughout the summer. So I got one posted yesterday, and uh, it would be awesome if you guys would go and check that out. Uh, but I'm going to be posting more throughout the summer. So uh, look out for those. Follow us on, on uh, give us a, a subscribe on YouTube. It's going to be just search Southern Ground Hunting. You'll find the channel right there. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you again next week remember this that god gave you dominion over the birds of the air the fish of the sea and the beasts of the earth so go out and exercise that dominion we'll talk to you next time